Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Um, we're in Revelation 7. I hope you will journey with us. I, I plead with you in this time. Do not pull back. As I mentioned last week, chapters, starting in chapter 6 is where most people bail out of Revelation. Uh, this is the only book that comes with a promise. To those that will listen, read it, study it, keep it, it's the only book that comes with this incredible blessing. We'll talk more about actually seeing what that blessing is in our lives <clears throat> as we move through this book. I invite you to open your heart. Dive into this stuff. Wrestle. It's hard stuff. But um, we need to be able to deal uh, with hard stuff uh, in, in this study. So we're in chapter 7. Hope you're opening your Bibles. Again, I encourage you to bring your paper. By, get back to the paper. Uh, and uh, bring that in your journal. Be ready to hear from the Word of God. And, and folks, it doesn't just stop right here. Uh, let's get a coffee. Let's engage with each other on the Word of God. This is what the uh, believers do. We encourage each other with the truth of God. This is uh, this is our foundation. This is the word of God. This is where we hear from him. This is right where we understand <clears throat> what God is doing. And uh, we hear his will and his purpose right in our life. So let me just dive in this morning. I throw out a big question. Are you neglecting your faith? Are you rejecting your faith? Or are you owning your faith? We are either neglecting it rejecting it on the road there or we're learning to own our faith and i want to talk this morning out of we're going to dive in on some amazing stuff in chapter 7 of revelation but i just want to raise this issue of <clears throat> what does it look like to own your faith um <clears throat> even in this song we we said you know uh, becca led us in that song just now about lord just expose my tradition my religion man what what is faith what who you know, is there something real? Second Corinthians chapter 13, Paul exhorts believers, examine yourself regularly. Are you in the faith? Is Jesus Christ alive in your soul? Is he alive in you lest you fail the test? Do you know he's alive? And unless we've learned to own our faith and what that means to own our faith, <clears throat> we're either going to slowly move into a place of passive neglect and passive neglect does not stay there any longer. It quickly moves to rejection. Uh, even if it's not a vocal rejection, it's a subtle rejection. And uh, these are the waves of things that are <clears throat> taking over in our uh, culture today. Uh, the two big issues that were highlight this morning are this idea of spiritual identity and spiritual security. They go together. And we're going to wrestle with how does the gospel form our identity? How does the gospel seal us? Uh, seal us that we're secure in the arms of our father to know these fundamental things and when we own our faith we learn to own our faith is when the spirit of god moves and and, and starts building this this heritage this identity this security in who we are and understanding what god has has done for us uh in this in this life um so i want to just throw out <clears throat> something um and i'm going to throw this out as a prophecy and you say what what is that and remember, the, the word of God says that God's people, we're all to prophesy. Well, what does that mean? We, it means we hear from God and we give it to the encouragement and strength of one another. And uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says, this is what we're to do when we gather together. We're to hear from God. 
put ourselves in a position where Holy Spirit, give me something for my own. I want to hear you, Lord, right? What are you saying to me? But also we're to be in a place of ministry to others, right? Lord, what do you have that I can bring to encourage, right, others? And, <clears throat> and through this, I just am asking God to just show me some things in a lot of our culture and everything else. And I'm going to throw this out as before we get into chapter seven. So listen carefully. Um, <clears throat> today, um, there's a bigger shift going on than we ever realize. And we find ourselves, and we especially find our young people stuck in this shift. And this shift is this shift from living in a culture where the culture has affirmed your Christian faith to a culture now that actually is hostile towards your Christian faith. And you know what? We don't know how to, what to do with that. So I'm going to say it again. We are in the very midst of a bigger, I'm going to call it tectonic plate shift in American culture. Most of you, if you grew up in the church, you grew up in an environment somewhere where your Christian faith was affirmed multiple places out there in culture, vocation, marketplace, other places today and quickly more and more, your Christian faith is not affirmed any longer. Actually, the culture is hostile toward that. Um, and because of that, we're finding ourselves in this, this, this big question that we're going to look at this morning of who can stand? Who's standing in the midst of this? Where are the peoples whose faith is in God when it's really pressed? Now, here's another big uh, thing to understand when you look at Scripture. Um, and this is one of the things that Revelation highlights that we can miss when we don't uh, tag in here. <clears throat> and this might be a shocker to some of you. But do you realize that the majority and, and the consistent message from the Gospels, well, the entire Bible, but especially the New Testament, do you know what the <clears throat> normal expectation of a Christian life is given? You know what Jesus said? What was the normal expectation of the Christian life? It's repeated over and over and over and over and over again. It's persecution. What does Jesus say? Even in his Sermon on the Mount, he, the kingdom living, he says, <laughs> he says, before you come and follow me, count the cost. Count the cost. Pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. Realize in this life, the normal expectation. What does he say? In the Sermon on the chapter 5, he says, kind of, kind of you, be blessed when you are reviled and persecuted for my name. This is what he said back in the beginning. But again, folks, this is, is hard to land on the American Western Christian today. This is why many are neglecting Stepping back, especially young people, and reevaluating, where's my faith? Under this pressure. It should not surprise anybody. It is said over and over again. Jesus says to his disciples over and over, in this life, you will have tribulation. Do not expect a world that is going to <laughs> applaud your Christian faith or your Christian values. It's not going to happen. But we have decades, even you could say for the last couple hundred years in America, where there has been a culture that has at least affirmed, right, the Christian faith. Um, it's, it's disappearing quick, folks. And I'm just going to throw out here, it's not returning. It's not returning. And you say, whoa, that's, that's not depressing. And don't take that as something depressing. That's exciting. The church is the most glorious when it is the minority, when it is making a stand as a light and salt and light and a loving message out to a culture that is clearly not affirming that. This is what we see in the New Testament. 
And this is the majority of the world today. Anywhere where you travel, it's the majority of history. But we're coming out of this, this season that has got us real foggy when it comes to understanding our faith. Um, does that make sense, gang? I just want you to, to think about this. So let's step back. Are you owning your faith? And when in your journey did you step back and go, is this just my parents' faith? Is this just my tradition? Is this just the denomination I grew up in? It's comfortable. I understand it. And I, you know, this is what I'm just supposed to go to church. I'm just supposed to do these things. Or was there a time where you, you started pressing in? And what I mean by owning our faith, right, is, is simply this, but profoundly this. Now, a couple things. Faith is a gift from God. The most glorious treasure in all of the world, right? Over and over again, what does Peter says? It's like this treasure. It's, it's beyond gold. It's, it's, it's immeasurable in how glorious it is. And so our, what, what are you doing with it? Right? It's a gift. I have to nurture it. I have to own it. And the other aspect of owning our faith is, is I have to, at some point in my life, and this is what happens if somebody comes to faith when they're a child or young, at some point, they have to step back from their family structure and everything else and say, Lord, I have to step in. I have to take full, full responsibility for my faith before God. I can't rely on others around me. I can't rely on my church. I can't rely. Ultimately, I stand before God owning my faith. And in the end, when we do stand before the Lord, is we can't look to anybody else. And see, in this shift we're in right now, boy, we love blaming. Oh, man, that church did this, or that person lit me down, or this. No, you own your faith. You can't blame anybody else. I can't blame anybody else. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, the course of my life, I am responsible. I cannot shove it off on anybody else. I'm responsible. And so when I get to that point of like, this is, I got to do something with this. Either I'm going to just kind of shove it under, neglect it, you know, or even now. With tears, we should be praying for what's happening across the board in America of people leaving their faith. But folks, again, this, is, this isn't something new. Jesus said it very clearly. He said, though there will be many in my, who showed up in the Father's house who will be led astray, who will fall away, who will neglect their faith. They will not own it. They will not continue to own their faith. And folks, here's, here's the beauty about this. Well, I have to own, and this is the beginning of true discipleship is when I am willing to own my faith. And I'm willing to say, I need to take hold of this, the, the heritage, the glory of what God has done for me, what he says, and, and I want to lay hold of it, and I want it to be real. And discipleship says, I, I'm will, I want someone to walk with and show me how to do that. You see, the problem in the church a lot of times is we just go through the motions Right? And we never really get down to this hard question of wrestling with, are we willing? Right? Has anybody ever just walked with you to the point of brought you to the precipice of, are you willing to own your faith? Are you willing to follow Jesus at all costs? Let's go. Let's figure this out. Let's do this together. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. Not staying in this zone right? that uh, so many are today. This kind of a therapeutic idea of I'm just going to sit around and talk about man what the gospel can do for me. Well I need God to do this for me and that for me. No, no. Owning my faith is stepping in into Lord. 
what do I do with this most precious, glorious good news in all of the world of this free gift of salvation, this invitation into the Father's house to live abundant and glorious life? And so with owning my faith is this idea of, of also, this is when God starts to form our identity. So we know today the t- huge issues. Aren't we confused about identity today? Do I have to tell anybody? Now let's just bring it inside the church. The reason why there's so much neglect and rejection going on is because where's the foundation of, of our identity gone? Where's the very foundation of the big question of who I am? Who am I? Who do I belong to? And this is being sh- rocked today, right? Um, and then the other one that goes intimately with that is security. So let me just another big question for you to think about. Are you more concerned today and consumed by phys- physical security or spiritual security? Which one consumes your thought? Which one consumes your fear? Physical security, your circumstances? Or spiritual security. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, he says, clearly, do not fear the one that can kill your body. But fear the one that can cast your body and soul into hell. Whoa. Whoa. That's Jesus' words. And folks, today, how much just physical Security, when we think about how much of the idea of fear and concern for my physical makeup has, has us consumed, that's the world. That's all they got, is to hold on to what we got here, verses. And what about my soul? And this is why Jesus over and over again says this to us. He says simply, right, what, what, what good is it? You gain the whole world, but you lose your soul. You lose your soul. And folks, here's the power in this. Until I am secure and growing in who I am in Christ and his inheritance is my ability to be out there in the world and to be a trailblazer on a whole different level of salt and light in my vocation and my work and my dreams and my new adventures, whatever it is, is that I, I need to step into that world with a solid foundation. When I do, God just lights a, a, a fire, right? The influence is magnified. A thousandfold, right? And that's exactly what he wants for us. Now, I know just in my own journey of owning faith, as I look back and, 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 and gang, I, 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 and this is such a, a massive parenting issue as well as discipleship issue. You see, we've been taught just to transfer information. Do this, don't do that. Come on, child, this is what you got to do. And folks, all that does is lead someone along a path where they never really are forced to have to wrestle and own their faith. And when the heat comes and the hostility of culture comes or the temptation of culture comes, guess what happens? It's what happens with what we're seeing today. There's a stepping back. There's an insecurity. There's a not really knowing what, who am I, where is the foundation of my identity? Right? Where is my security? And what happens is the culture wins every time. Every time, unless there is this process of really pressing in. And so I say this to parents, but this is also the process of discipleship, which is flipping the question, what is the Lord saying to you? I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm not going to just take you to what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? 
Have you taken any time in your decision about who you're going to date, what you're going to do in business, what you're going to do with your money, what school, college you're going to go to? Have you had taken any time to go to the Lord? What is he saying to you? And so has anybody walked with you that way? This is why when you talk to the majority of believers today, in our journey of faith, guess what? Is We just make decisions. We haven't taken time to go to the Lord and let him speak to us and lead and guide us. We haven't owned our faith. That just reveals cracks in our identity. It means I'm really just living like the world. I'm making decisions that I think are best for me by my flesh. So spiritual formation, the idea of owning my faith is right, pushing others that I'm with Right Or in my own self, right? Lord, have I taken time to pursue your truth, your direction right in my life? Something radically shifts when we put it back on somebody. What does the Lord say to you? But see, we're built to fix people, to fix things, right? And, and, uh, and to provide the answers. I struggle with this. Somebody asks me an answer. I want to give, I'm diving. Here's the answer. That's not always the most important thing to do. The most important thing to do is to to be led by the Spirit of God. And most of the time, what did Jesus do? He didn't just flat out give people answers most of the time. He threw another question their way. Well, what does the Lord say to you? Have you taken time to, to process this with the Lord? Don't just ask me, have you dug into the Scripture? Are you finding your direction from the Word of God or from the Internet or Google? Have you sought the Lord? And if the answer is, wow, uh, you know, then the, the, our response is, come with me. Let's journey together. This is discipleship. Let's journey together. I want to help you own your faith. I want to help you lay a firm foundation for your identity in your life and with the word of God. I want to show you how to seek the Lord and find his answer. I want to find you, show you how to seek him and find him and have him speak into your heart. Folks, we have to restore this. Does not make sense? So folks, are we neglecting, rejecting, are we owning our faith? And that leads us into chapter 7. Let me just read this for us. Chapter 7, folks, in Revelation is this interlude that we talked about in Revelation. We're moving along with the, the seal judgments, the, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments towards the end, towards the new creation, you know, and the good stuff. Most people are like, all right, all right, all right, let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> let's get to heaven where there's no fears or tears. And, you know, um, but there's a process there, right? And along the way, there's these very important interludes, like stepping back and diving in. And this is one of them. We ended chapter six with the six seals that were opened up off the scroll is God's rolling out the end they're bringing it all together in the end and it ends <clears throat> chapter 6 um, talking about the day of the wrath of the lamb of Jesus coming in justice his second time when he returns for the great day of the wrath has come and who can stand who can stand and so when this when we move this direction in history where it's all headed the big question here uh, that is being asked, well, who can stand? Who can stand in the midst of that justice of God being poured out on this world? The wrath of God. Making things right. And remember, don't separate his wrath from his, his, his love and his grace and his mercy. Right? This is part of the justice of God. We can't have love without justice. Again, that is what the culture is telling you. Right? 
um, impossible. And we could prove that in many different ways. And so now we move it. We step back and this beautiful picture. I'm going to give you a little insight before I read it. And what I'm going to just say, I'll go deeper on Wednesday, but let me just say this about the rapture and understanding, understanding prophecy is uh, many of you have heard about rapture, that God will come and rapture, and there was take his church, take his people before the wrath is poured out. I personally do not see that anywhere in scripture. I think you have to force that idea. Is it a possibility? Yeah, and it sure would be awesome. But I think we best be prepared for it not. And here's, there's multiple reasons for this because what we'll see here is the see, who can stand. And what we see in this interlude is we see the, uh, the definition, the description of the children of God in two different ways. The fulfillment of what God has done in the Old Testament, New Testament, throughout all of history in bringing every tongue, tribe, and nation to, uh, to God and through his, uh, through his chosen people, the Israelites. And what we see here in chapter 7 is actually, I think, two, uh, the same picture of the, uh, uh, or a different picture of the same people, the people of God. From two different aspects of what God has been doing to save people and to form up our identity as the people of God, um, in the house of God. And um, we'll see the sealing of the people of God. And the, again, I don't have time to get into the details. I'll get more into this Wednesday. But um, in the sense, what we see shown here is that the sealing upon the people of the children of God is to protect them from the wrath of God. Does not protect you from persecution, even martyrdom, but it does protect you. Never, a child of God will never receive the punishing wrath of God. Discipline, yes, but not the wrath of God. And... Um, and that's the promise we see all throughout the New Testament. That is a glorious thing, is this radical security that my soul is safe. And when Jesus says, those who know me, that um, no one can snatch them, right? John 10, out of my hand or, or out of the Father's hand. You're safe. You are secure. The question is, do you know that? And is there this strength to stand in the midst of, right, persecution? And persecution is just a... A, a preeminent thing to obviously the, the climax where God is going to make things right in the world. So here we go. Chapter 7. Let me read for us. After this, John says, I saw four angels. So remember, he just in his chapter 6 with who can stand in the midst of when all of this justice, the wrath of God is poured out on the world. Who can stand? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah. And it goes all through, 12 ends with the 12 tribes of Benjamin. You say, what's going on here? And of course, if you've read any prophecy out there, you, there's a lot of, you know, people, a lot of talk about this 144,000. Remember, Revelation is prophetic language. Numbers need to be looked at at a larger aspect than just the number itself. It's, it's symbolic for something bigger, right? And all of this right here <clears throat> is, uh, is language 
about in, in Hebrew understanding, this 12, 12, 12, the 12,000, the 144,000, this is seen as complete, big, glorious number. John the prophetic, for a Jewish person to hear this, it would mean this is the complete number of what God is doing. And so um, let me just take us all the way back, folks. And this is so key. And I think when it comes to understanding what it is to be a child of God, to understand this glorious blessing of faith, of what the Spirit of God has done to save you and bring you, let me just say, use this word, Romans 11, to graft you into the children of God. Remember, God started this through one man, Abraham. To save the world. And the goal was every tongue, tribe, and nation. So let me just say real quick and prophetically speaking is you better honor Israel. I'm going to say it right now. You can go back to the very beginning and whoever curses, God laid it out. It's been true throughout all of history. Longest lasting nation in the world. And what does the culture say today? And what are you and young people being told about the Israel issue? We're not condoning everything they do. But I'm just saying, you best be on honoring Israel. Right? God has started with that, the nation. But there's something bigger. He's got plans for the nation. There's only one nation in all the world, of all the nations that God chose for himself, and that's Israel. He's still got a person plan. We'll get into that. We move in. But there's something spiritual Israel is a different issue. Because the nation is like any other nation. You have some who are saved, some who are not in that nation. Spiritual Israel is all those who are the children of God. And so let me give you, again, this is probably, uh, and, and this is the other piece we'll get into on Wednesday a little bit, but I think this is really critical for you to understand. Because, remember, it says in the end, many will be led astray. It's, we have to hold on to the truth of God and what God has said throughout here. And there's three different ideas of understanding the church in Israel. And I'm going to give you the three. First one is this. You've heard of replacement theology before. There's some in the church that thinks the church has replaced Israel. That is false. That is not true. That will lead you down a very uh, bad road. Okay? So it's not replacement theology. Others, um, I was educated in a, a system that was, you could call it separation theology. That Israel and the church are completely separate and God's doing two separate things. And they would interpret chapter 7 as, as Israel and the church, two complete different things. That is going to lead you down a wrong, very, very confusing, contrived understanding of the end times. The reality which we see all through the scripture is what we'll call remnant theology. Okay, remnant theology means that God always has his remnant. He always has his people. And in Israel, he has his remnant. And what did Jesus say when he walked among Israel? He says, not everybody who was born of Abraham's blood is a child of God. That was shocking. Because Israel just thought, just because I'm, just because I'm a, a Hebrew, I'm in. Jesus said, no. No, no, there's a remnant and that remnant goes back to Abraham. And listen to this. I'm just going to read a couple of these. But this is chapter 12 of Genesis. When God called Abraham, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be blessed. And, it will be a, and I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonored you, I will curse. And in you, all these families of the earth will be blessed. And so God, where did the Messiah come through? Right? Through the faithful. And because Israel did not obey 
God's command to them to be a light unto the Gentiles. Is it God? We see the New Testament take over, right? And God did something, and this is where Paul was overwhelmed in Romans. He says that righteousness has come outside of the law. Outside of the purposes of Israel in the Old Testament, righteousness has come by the freedom of grace. And God is now moving through his church. Now, who's his church? Church is the remnant of God's people around the world. Every tongue, tribe, and nation. When you go to Romans 11, it talks about being grafted again. That, that olive tree right, is the children of God. It is, it is remnant Israel and it is the church. Those two are equal. All the saved, the redeemed, who are saved by what? Faith. And we can flip over to Genesis 22. And uh, this is where Abraham, the father of our faith, was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. Folks, this is the gospel. Do you realize this is thousands and thousands of years beforehand and how this fits together of God's redemptive work in history? This is your heritage. This is your identity. This is where you're to be rooted to understand who you are. And the heritage that you have, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that every promise in Christ Jesus, speaking about all the Old Testament promises to God's people, it's yours. It's yes. If you understand your identity and and are growing and understanding what God has done for you. But you got to own it. You got to own it and go for it. It doesn't happen by osmosis. Doesn't happen by just listening to podcast sermons, showing up at church. You got to own it. You got to pursue it by Faith, trusting God, right, at his, at his words. And so Genesis 22, he says that, um, uh, verse 18, and in your offspring, Abraham, this is God, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you obeyed my voice. God is looking for a righteous man to change the world, right? And look what's happened through that. He had to have, if Jesus had to come to earth to save us, he had to be born to somebody, right? And this is, this is the line. This is the work of God, right, being done. So this first part of revelation, what God, what was John doing? Stepping back and showing God's complete work, the complete number, right, of, of, uh, of those coming out of, um, of the 12 tribes, and not just Jews, but those who, as Jesus said, it's those who have faith like Abraham are the children of God. Not because you're born a Jew or Israelite, because you have faith like Abraham. You've received that glorious uh, uh, gift and, and of faith, and you've received it, and, um, and the fullness of that has come in, and he has set his seal. So, wh- uh, what is going on here, John? He says, hold back. Right, the angels of the earth. We go back to chapter six. It already introduced the four horsemen we talked about last week. Zechariah six, nothing new in the Old Testament. Right, these are the four horsemen waiting to bring about the full justice, bring harm upon the the um, the world. And and this angel is saying, "Whoa, don't bring the end. Don't bring that justice until every single person has that is going to come into the fold receives." The seal of salvation. Now, remember what we talked about in prophecy? It's, it's what's happened in the past as well as what is yet to be completely fulfilled. And so this is speaking about the fullness of the children of Abraham. All of those who will be saved by the gospel, right? Throughout all time are sealed. And we go to the, God, to, um, uh, to the New Testament over and over again. It talks about the blessing of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. 
And the sealing of the Holy Spirit, folks, is, is that God has given, he's set. It's Jesus in you by the power of the Spirit of God has set inside you. You're sealed. You're his. There's so much tied to this, this understanding of what it is to be sealed. But at the very core, it's who we are. It's our identity, right, in him. Um, what he's done for us. Uh, Ephesians tells us that we've been sealed, for that day of redemption, he set you apart. He's put his seal upon you. He's given you that gift of faith. But you have to own that. Do you understand? It's one thing to, he, and this is the problem, is we think just by transferring information, by me telling you this truth, that faith is going to come alive. Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So we have to hear it, but then I have to own it. I've got to do something with it. I've got to wrestle with this. I got to get it in me. I have to, what? Nurture my faith with others walking, right, in, in discipleship. And so uh, this idea of sealing is here uh, that not just for the end, but also remember the past as well as the totality of all those that will be sealed that were brought uh, about by God's uh, original intent from Genesis of what God's intent. All nations will be blessed through the 12 tribes, right, of Israel and the complete remnant of Israel right, will be sealed, and that the remnant of Israel is equal to the church, okay? And then he moves on, and he gives this other picture. After this, I looked, and behold, now let me just step back. This also is dealing with a certain number of people sealed who are going to, in other words, who can stand? Who can stand when, this, when the, the, the seventh seal goes, and the trumpets and the bowl judgments go, when the, and God brings about the end? Who's going to be able to stand? Only those who are sealed, and so you have to hold on to this understanding. There's either two seals going on. The seal, the mark on the forehead, which just means is that it's evident to people. So why, why in the Old Testament were the um, Jews supposed to put the phylactery, the, the word of God on the forehead and the wrist, is so that people could see, oh, the word of God is leading you. You're for, you stand for the word of God. And so when it talks about the seal, and all through the revelation will come to it, is we are marked by him. People see us, when they engage us, they know, oh, you're his, you're a follower of Jesus. There's something evident in how we live and how we speak about him, who's our greatest treasure. But the other mark, there's no great territory as we move in here, the other mark is the mark of the beast. And there's either one or the other, and the scripture talks about all through here, and this is why I say that we're probably going to have to walk through this, it's pretty evident, is that just like in, um, in the Exodus, Right? The Hebrews, they didn't suffer, suffer the, the, the plagues. God protected them out of that. They lived through it. They're persecuted, but they were protected through it. And the same thing in the book of Revelation, right? Is that they're protected through it. And it says, go and inflict this upon the earth. But only those, but, but in other words, those who have the mark of Christ, who are sealed in him, you can't touch them. They can stand, right? When it comes to the wrath, not persecution, but wrath. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne, before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne. They worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be our God forever and ever. Amen. 
And one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes from which and where have they come? And I said, sir, you know. And he told me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb, Jesus, is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Wow. Hold on to it. That's your heritage. If you know him. If you're sealed by the Spirit of God, and you examine yourself, and you know Christ is in you. Christ is in you. You are called out as separate from the world to be his, to be part of the remnant of Israel, to part of his church, his children, the house of God. Not by anything you or I have to offer, but solely because we received that grace freely and we owned it and we received it, right? Remember, all the scripture says to, Jesus says, to those who receive this grace, I make children of God. You gotta receive it. You gotta own it, right? You just can't go through the motions, and so this is a beautiful picture of, of the beginning of, the, of the, uh, the end times where God seals his people, right? As this beautiful picture of if you're sealed, and this seal, remember, in the prophetic language, it goes all the way back, but it also comes all the way forward to a final fulfillment is you're protected from the wrath of God. And then it goes all the way to the end, right? With those who are now redeemed, right? Out of the world in the presence of God. Right, as a precursor to the new heavens and earth that all come together right back here, right, to be restored um, together. And so, <clears throat> these two big questions How does the gospel form our identity as children of God? And how does the gospel seal us secure as children of God for eternity? And, folks, these, are, I, I, I don't know how to say it enough except to say, I guess we just have done a terrible job of discipling and equipping people to really, and especially our young people, to have this sure standing foundation, understanding who they are, loved by God, cherished by God, have a a secure future for their life, and that this is life. This is life. This is the best for them. That this will lead them to, to streams of living water, blessing and favor of God in their life, not the heritage that the world has to say to them. Right? And when it comes to being secure, sealed, is to wrestle right, with ourselves. Again, I could go back to 2 Corinthians right, 13. Simply says, examine yourself, Paul says. Are you in the faith? And so we've taken that so light over the decades past, we haven't had to wrestle, have we? Because you know what? Your faith, your church going, your Christian ideas have really not been tested. As far as the culture goes, it's been affirmed for the most part. What I'm saying is that's gone and quickly leaving. Now culture is going to be hostile. Now I'm going to be forced to walk right this line of, of this joy-filled life in a world, right, that is not going to affirm my faith or biblical truth, especially around these two issues of identity and security. That's for sure, right? 
And isn't it interesting that that's where the cultural war goes, right to the very core of who we are, right? Raising this question of who we are. And folks, let me just tell you, if there's any, this is where the good news comes in, but it's time for the church, for for followers of Jesus, with joy and love to enter into the world where there's so much radical confusion going on, right? To step in and to lovingly bring truth into people's lives who are so confused. God loves you. He has, just receive him. Will you open your heart and your eyes to what God has done and what Jesus wants to do for you? He will bring healing. He brings, he brings, he, he takes the fractures and he brings wholeness. He brings redemption and deliverance. He brings the fruit of the spirit into your life. All these wonderful things. And so just in conclusion, um, back to this question, are we neglecting? Y'all can come on uh, are we rejecting? Are we owning our faith? And folks, I think this is where discipleship starts. This is where true spiritual conversation with our children, with our, our friends, people in the church, with one another, is, wow, where are we at? Where's my faith at? What's really going on? And we're to encourage each other. We're to step in and, hey, let's walk. Let's figure out how to own this and lay hold of this, this, glorious, this glorious stuff. Uh, I, I just, when I was reading this, I, I just, um, that the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son just kept coming to me. It's just such a vivid, you know, one of the most famous, most powerful stories, right? Uh, and parables there could be. You know the story, right? The, the, the younger son bolts. He takes his, and it was something, remember he took his inheritance, which is basically saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Just go ahead and give it to me now. Whereas I just reject your, your household, I reject your, your, your plan, the Father's house. And all through the scripture, Old or New Testament, the betav, that's Hebrew for the Father's house, is a picture of, of God, his house, and his children that he wants to bless. And, uh, and this calling in, right, to that. And that's what he longs. What did Jesus say? He looked over Jerusalem. How I long to, as a mother, put my arms around you. But you were unwilling. Just like the prodigal to go the ways of the world and and to find our security, to find our identity in the things of the world. And the prodigal just said, I know better. I'm going after the world. And went after everything the world had to offer. And uh, and you know the rest of the story, right? It was this this tearing down. It was ultimately, and let me just say, it is a gracious blessing that the prodigal's finances ran out. I just want to say it again to the most affluent people who've ever walked on the face of the earth. Is that there are many prodigals today, but they've got a trust fund. They've got so much money and success. Guess what? They never have to deal with how far they are from the father's house. Right? And it wasn't until he came to his senses, what Jesus said, that he turned back to the father's house. And uh, wow. Humility and a coming to senses where he owned his faith. He started owning what was going on in his soul, right? And he, and he turned, right, to, to, uh, to the Father. And you know the story, it's just so beautiful, right? And this is God's heart. He wrapped his arms and he put the robe and the ring, which are vivid, vivid descriptions of, 
of that son's identity as a child of God in the household of the father, right? And, um, and he stepped back in to own his faith again, right? As a child of the father's house. So just in conclusion, I just tape you, I threw a bunch of big questions out. I hope you'll just, you know, wrestle. Wrestle, this is a massive question. And for all of us, especially in this day and age, more than ever before, and we're called to encourage each other, to walk with each other, right, on this issue. And um, Scripture says that we're to, uh, when we gather, encourage each other. And so I just open, I'm going to pray, and then um, before we come to the table, you know, we've got the mics up here, and I just say, man, if, if God has something on you, right, that will bring an encouragement, a lifting up of us, Man, just bring it. Something short, right? An exhortation, encouragement, testimony, whatever it is, but that would lift us up. Feel free to bring that. That's, this is the church at work, li- listening to the Spirit move. And so, Father, we come to you. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. May we get hungry for it, Lord. And Father, in these unique times, Lord, um, Father, we, we just need your help. I, I just pray for a restoration of our identity Lord, and and part of our identity is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Lord, restore these to your people that we might, in our spheres of influence, in our vocations, Lord, we might shine bright for you, God. Lord, we we may exhibit a love, Lord, that is just unexplainable to people. A joy that's unexplainable to people, Lord. As you said, Jesus, that people would see how we live, how we treat them, Lord, and they would hearts would open up to the Father. Holy Spirit, come now. Encourage us. Let this word sink deep in our soul, Lord. We love you, God. We know you're at work. Lord, let none of this put us in a position of fear, Lord, but of joy, knowing we're yours. And a challenge to be able to stand, even now, Lord, joyfully, with hope. Lord, knowing there's so much opportunity out there. So much opportunity in the marketplace. So much opportunity, Lord, in the streets and in our communities, in this nation. Lord, to walk with people. Get below the surface. To truly love people. Below the surface where their soul's at, Lord. That's what you call us to. Holy Spirit, come now. Encourage your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.